Um, the question that was posed several weeks ago was, what does it mean to grieve the Spirit? Um, and how does a person grieve the Spirit? How does a person avoid grieving the Spirit? Or some of the questions that we kind of think through. Um, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, which is where that passage comes, where that, that thought comes from. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30, and we're actually going to jump somewhere else after we read this verse, and then jump back to Ephesians chapter 4, because um, there's some, I think that there's some uh, foundation laying that we would do well to do prior to gaining a more in-depth understanding of what it means to grieve the Spirit. So Ephesians 4.30 says, can somebody read Ephesians 4.30 for us? Okay, so he's commanding the church of, of Ephesus, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What's another word that comes into mind when you think of grieving? You know, if, if you are grieving somebody, causing somebody grief, what's some, another word that might pop into your head? Make them sad. Make them sad, yeah. <clears throat> Disappointed. Disappointed. When is that, when, can you remember a time when somebody grieved you? Or perhaps a time that you remember that you grieved somebody else? Or just a, maybe you don't want to be so personal, but just a story where you can think of somebody grieving somebody and just kind of how that transpired. Okay. Yeah, just any circumstance that breaks union, sets people against each other, perhaps. Or somebody is separating off of you because they want to go down a path that you don't want to go down. That causes grief, sorrow. sorrow. Yeah, sorrow is a good way of wording it. Look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to get back to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Romans chapter 8 real quick. And we're going to see something that the Spirit is doing and something that we should be doing along with the Spirit as He brings us into His fellowship. Um, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, going through verse 30. Would somebody like to take that load and read that for us? Romans 8, 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who ha have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Among many brothers, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so in this passage, we see that there are some things that should cause us to groan. There are some things that the Spirit groans, that the creation groans. You know, why do people groan? They're in pain. Right. They're in pain. Something is hurting them. Something is grieving them. And there is something that we should all be grieving over. There's something that the Spirit is grieving along with us for. Something that all creation itself is grieving and groaning and is in pain, it's in turmoil <coughs> until something happens. What is that? Did we, did we glean from this passage? And it was a long passage. The effects of the fall, the ongoing effects of the fall. Okay, so we're groaning because of the ongoing effects of the fall, and we're groaning because we're longing for something that we haven't gotten yet. What, what, what is that? Peace. Peace. Through what? Where, where are we supposed to get this ultimate peace from? From Him. Through, and in this passage we see the, this um, new creation is being built it hasn't fully come yet. One day it will fully come. And everything's groaning until the new creation fully comes. So we see here that there's a work in progress. And everything is groaning until it comes to fruition. Until it comes to completion. Even the Spirit Himself groans for us. Not necessarily because of us, but for us. Why would the Spirit groan for us? What does he want for us that hasn't been done yet? Completed yet? Glorification. Glorification. Yeah, the glorification of the saints. He wants the turmoil to be over for us. He wants the sin to be gone, the struggle to be gone, for the old creation to completely be done away with, for the new creation to be completely brought forth. And we're said, actually, we're, we're called in verse 23... And not only creation, but ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we're called, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. In that sense, it's talking about we have the first, the beginnings of the new creation at work in us already. The machine is already working. The switch has already been turned on. So the new creation is at work being built in God's own way. Okay, And since that has been turned on within us, that causes a groaning. Now how could the new creation being turned on within us cause us to groan? Whereas before that switch did not, wasn't, was turned on, we didn't groan. We didn't groan. We only groaned when we received the first fruits of the Spirit. I thought the Spirit was supposed to bring us joy and peace and delight. But yet, when we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we get groaning? 
Why? Because now we are actually able to see the thing that we're hoping for coming nearer. We actually have hope of something, the new creation, coming forth from God. We actually can anticipate it now. You know, Jayla, how do you feel the week before Christmas? Super excited, but you're just like, I can't wait for it to come. I can't wait for it to come, right? So it's just like, can we just... And what do you start asking us? Before Christmas, a week before Christmas, can I start opening presents? <laughs> just one, just one. Because <laughs> you want it. You want Christmas to come. And in a way, you know, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the, the eager anticipation of the coming kingdom of God, the fullness of the new creation. We have a glimpse of it. We have the promise of it. We can actually long for it now because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Because we long for it, but yet don't have it, it can cause some groaning within us because what still remains that is at war and at enmity with the new creation, it's the old nature that's, po that's passing away, but yet it still lingers. So it causes some groaning within us. Um, so, with this concept in mind, turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Grief is, you know, whether we like it or not, grief is part of the Christian life. Not that we don't have peace that passes understanding. I mean, that the relationship with how all that works, I mean, that's another story. Groaning is part of our life. But this is back to the passage where we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to, there's several verses. I'm just going to run through some of these verses. Um, starting in verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So just there, we're looking at the same concept that we were reading about in Romans chapter 8. So newness, putting off oldness, striving after the newness that God has already begun to work in our lives. <clears throat> Let's continue to go on. Verse 25, Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the, chief, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt thing come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, so there again, the <clears throat> sealing of the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit being given to us in anticipation of that final day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we see all these examples of put, cast these things off, put these things behind you, because they're part of the old creation, the old self. Here are some examples of the new creation. Here are some things that you should be striving after. Here are some ways that you can exemplify the newness of God by the Spirit. And then I want to keep reading just ten more verses, starting in verse chapter 5 here. Therefore, because remember, I mean, these chapters were put in there by a person. The thought continues. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, all impurity and covetousness must not be even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So this is just more examples of cast this off, strive after this. Why? Because you are made new, and you're being made new in anticipation of the new, the fullness of the new creation that is coming. We should be striving after that. So, with all that in mind, how do we grieve the Spirit? I mean, the Spirit has been given to us. He is the machine that has opened our eyes. Like he said, they are, you were once darkness, now you are light. Um, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance is, that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous. Say they, they just can't see it because they don't have the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to you as a seal in anticipation for the coming day and also as the one who can actually give you the righteousness of Christ while you yet live. You have Him. To make you perfect. He is there with all power of heaven. Fighting on your behalf to bring you to the end. Where you begin in the new creation. Tucker. Up here. So how do we grieve the spirit? By participating in the things he just told us not to participate in. Yeah. Right. And now, and it can be, and we can see this as like, okay, simple enough, don't sin. But there's more to it than that. Not necessarily more to it, but we can't miss the personal element here. Think of yourself as a parent of a child. And you have laid before them the path that is good for them. You have given them all resources to pursue that path. You have given them all instruction, all guidance that they need to pursue the path that will actually lead them in the way of success. But yet then that child decides, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to reject everything that you have told me. I'm going to reject all the resources that you've made available to me, and I'm going to go down this self-destructive path. How does that make you as a parent feel? 
grieved. (laughs) That is how we grieve the Spirit. Because the Spirit is in you to guide you. He has shown you the path of righteousness. He has shed a lot. He has, you know, the Gentiles are the ones that are ignorant and their hearts are their hearts are hardened. They're the ones that don't see it. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. He has shown you the desires of the Lord, and yet you still reject them, and you even know that it's good. You have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good, that He is a delight, that His ways are a delight. And you know it. And the Spirit has shown it to you because He loves you. It's a <clears throat> repeat of what the Israelites did after they got into the land. Mm-hmm. I just read about it. Right. Last night, you know, and, uh, God told them that when you get in there, you don't do what they do. Right. And what did they do? Just like did what they did. did. <laughs> right. It's just first grade stuff. You know? Right, exactly. And that's, yeah. Christians <laughs> And that's a good segue to this last chapter. I mean, in the Old Testament, even, God is sharing his heart with us. You know, look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. There's a song that's out on the radio now. One of the lines that I love in in the song is, you know, I can see your heart in everything that you've done. I can see your heart in everything that you've done. And God is putting his heart out for us to see. Even here in the Old Testament, with the Old Testament cruel and vicious God, right? <laughs> like that were the, were the case. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse, verse, starting in verse 29. He says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, Return to your tents, but you... Stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment, and the statutes, and the rules that you shall teach them, and you may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord has, the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you might live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. In chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to po- over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. <coughs> And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord." 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in the midst, in the midst of you as a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give you, Give to your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies from before you, as the Lord had promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household behold, before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us as alive, preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. What did we see over and over and over again as to why the Lord has given us this way to walk? Did you see the heart of God there? That it wasn't just God giving out dictatorial laws and commandments for his own good, even though we do worship him and follow him for his own glory. But what is in it for us? I mean, God tells us that it's For for their own benefit. And he reminds them, remember, I've already been a benefit to you. I drove out the, you know, I pulled you out of the Egyptians. I did something that you could not do on your own because I love you. I gave you a promised land. I'm giving you a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey that I have set before you. A plant, a land of plenty. And he says all these different things. There's going to be houses that are filled that you didn't fill. You didn't build the houses. You didn't fill them with the stuff. You didn't dig the wells. You didn't plant the vineyards or the olive trees. But yet it's already fruitful just from day one. I did all this for you. Walk in my ways, because it is good for you to walk in my ways. And we see even in the Old Testament law, which, some, which sometimes we think is dry and dull, but don't you think perhaps this is a chapter that David, the man after God's own heart, dwelled on from time to time? And perhaps it provided fuel for all of his rejoicing in the law of God as he repeated time and time again that I love your law. Puts flesh on my bones. It is good for us to walk in the ways of God. And the Spirit knows this. The Spirit sees this. I mean, we already have been delivered from Egypt. Christ has already been slaughtered for us so that we don't have to be condemned. He has brought us out of darkness and brought us into light, which is a symbol of the redemption we saw in Old Testament, being brought out of Egypt and entered into the promised land. We've been brought out of darkness and into light. We've already seen it with our own eyes. We've seen the way the Lord has acted on our behalf in our lives. We have seen the good ways of the Lord. So how in the world do we think the Spirit is supposed to feel when we turn from Him? 
When he has given us everything we need to succeed, to walk in righteousness, to not just glorify God, but enjoy him forever. But yet we turn from that. How would that not grieve the Spirit to see us wasting everything that we've been given? Just like a parent might look upon their child who has wasted everything they've been given so that what? They could be with some boyfriend or alcohol or some job or that's going to pass someday anyway. He is. He's within us. He knows firsthand the destruction that that sin is causing to us. And you know, I was waiting to pick up Jayla from VBS, and I was parked right outside of the Ten Commandments in front of the Catholic Church. And I was just noticing again, I knew it was like this, but I was noticing again that they took out the Second Commandment, have no idols, you know, don't make any graven images. And it just, I was reminded of this. (laughs) And I was grieved. Because God has shown us the good way. But man decides, I'm going to alter that so that I can do my thing. How that must grieve the Spirit. And the Spirit knows the Lord has given you that for your good. The Lord has given you that for your own benefit. And you have taken it out because you simply want to do something different. Because you think you have a better idea? Oh, how that must grieve the Spirit to see us. Not even just that, but all sorts of different examples could be given about people trying to circumvent clear teachings in Scripture just so that they can do what, just so they can do their idea. So they can do what they want to do. Basically, that's what's happening in churches all over, right. especially in America, mm-hmm. with you know, the Methodists. Right. Well, we think God is more loving and yeah. didn't really mean what he said in Romans, right. so we let love trump everything. Right. You just come ahead and come on and be yeah. part of our church. And yet those churches still sing songs that say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, yeah. when all the time the Spirit is grieving over them because they have forsaken the trueness of God's word so that they could continue to simply enjoy the old creation that he's trying to drive us out of and to show us the joy of the new creation. But all we want to do is format our lives so that we can feel spiritual while enjoying all of the old creation that we want and spiritualizing it at that. You know? We can sing Holy Spirit fill us but we also need to submit to him, you know, so that we can know the joy that he wants to give us. But if we are willingly doing the things that grieve him because he knows what's best for us and we're rejecting what he knows what is best for us, 
נותן. Anything else anybody wants to bring up? Mention? All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to our prayer.